This Wellness Couch podcast is brought to you by The Wellness Breakthrough. Three days and two nights with nine of your favourites from The Wellness Couch, all gathering together in Melbourne for one incredible event. We can't wait to see you there. Go to www.thewellnesscouch.com for details. Thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. This is Up for a Chat with Cindy O'Mara, Karen Smith and Kim Morrison. Here we are, up for a chat about the hottest topics that are important to you, inspiring you to awaken the change within. I'm Karen Smith. I'm Kim Morrison. And I'm Cindy O'Meara. And we're all together once again here on Skype. I tell you what, (laughs) this is just the shizballs. Because it doesn't matter where we are in the country or where we are in the world, we can actually all get together and still bring up for a chat to our listeners. I think it's the gun. I think it's very funny that it's taken us two years to actually get on Skype. <laughs> Let us not speak of that. Oh, my God. I, this, is, this is learning. This is, we are actually learning something and we're educating. We're getting like the wellness guys who never are together and have to do it on Skype, whereas this, you know, I, it is an education, isn't it? Well, you know, it kind of felt like it was too hard. It felt mm. like it was just all too hard to make it all happen which then made me think, no, I can't be bloody bothered. But then it got to the point where I absolutely needed it. And you know all it took was downloading a call recorder from the internet. Just saying. That's all. Mm-hmm. And then the, then the call recorder thingy bob does its thing and saves the data file. You know what I'm saying? That's it. I don't have That's, to actually do anything. That is called edumacation. And thank goodness you did it, Karen, because one more thing in my brain, I'm just not sure if I could take it in. I think it does get to explosion point. It does. Definitely. So speaking of, speaking of education, that's a really uber groovy topic we thought we would talk about today. What do you reckon? Yes. Yeah, especially because the kids have gone back to school after having their, you know, six to eight weeks off, whether it's university students or new students that have just started and mothers having a really hard time letting them go or other mothers skipping out of the classroom going, yay, I have a day to myself. (laughs) Does that happen? Well, like the mothers go either way. Mothers either cry their eyes out and are just lost and other mothers skip their little, out out of that classroom going, oh, my gosh, I have six hours to myself now. What am I going to do with myself? You know, so, you know, it just depends. I think it depends on the kid. It depends on the mother. It depends on what number kid it is. Because <laughs> I remember number one, I skipped out of the classroom oh. screaming yabba dabba do. <laughs> um, <yeah. laughs> and third child, I cried. Oh. Yeah, yes. Because just, I just think, it, what about you, Kimmy? What, what were you like? Oh, I, I don't like going back to school. I think if if I wasn't so busy, I probably would have very seriously considered homeschooling and, you know, my daughter probably would have coped with that. But my son, I'm not sure he would have. It's it's apparently all about the rep and, and about how cool he is and that only happens in a social situation, not with your mother. So mm-hmm. um, It would be very uncool, yes, yeah. I can see that. <laughs> but, you know, like I... We all love it. We love our holidays all together. We love chilling. I think it's the unprogrammedity mm. of life when you're on holidays. I think the biggest thing for me, and I'm sure a lot of maybe every other mum out there is saying the same thing, and that's 
not having to do school lunches. That's probably my biggest thing is always being prepared and ahead and making sure that we've got food in the house to make sure that they're going to school with good food. So for me, it's about getting back into routine and I really enjoy holidays without that routine. Actually, it's an interesting topic, that whole homeschooling thing. I've got a really good friend of mine. Her name's Isabella and she has had her kids in a variety of different schools and she's been looking for schools that can cater to today's generation of kiddies. Her kids are very creative, especially her son. is very creative and he's, you know, somebody who really needs to have that nurtured. She's had him in a bunch of different schools and just hasn't been satisfied with the teaching styles and, and methods of the schools. And so finally, she just thrown her hands in the air. I think, uh, forgive me, I, I can't quite remember the ages of her two kids. I think her son is eight and her daughter's six potentially. And she's just thrown her hands in the air and gone, bugger it, I'm going to homeschool these kids. And it's been, it's meant a complete change in the way that she runs her house and, you know, her life. And she was planning on, you know, starting a little business and all that. So it's changed everything for her. But, and as much as it's been challenging in that respect, Honestly, it's, it's opened up a whole world of learning to her and a whole world of learning to those kids that may or may not have ever been possible. And there's this, on the Sunshine Coast here, there's this whole community of homeschooled kids. So they make dates where all the homeschooled kids get together and that's their socialization time. So there's a couple of times a week they all get together and the kids socialize and you know, and then they do a whole bunch of social stuff online together. It's quite a fascinating world that I just didn't know existed. Mm. And mm. the really good thing about homeschooling um, families is that when you go to school, you socialise with your same age group. So if you're in prep, you socialise with the prep group. If you're in grade one, you socialise with grade ones. And you don't really find yourself socialising with the year 12s or, or anyone like that. But when you homeschool and you do that social time, you actually find that you socialise, the prep socialise with the year 12s, with every age group. And, the, it, and really school is a little bubble that you live in until you finish. And when you get out into the wide, wide world, where people still bring peanut butter sandwiches to work, where people are aged between 18 and 60 that you work with, is a very different bubble to the bubble you went to school with. And, and I think people just don't realise it's, we all do it, it's a meme. You get to year, grade or you get to age five or you do kindergarten first and then you do preschool. Then you get to age five and you go to grade prep one, two, and you go to year 12 and then you go out and you're expected to go to university. But many kids aren't conforming to the school system. And I'd love to give you an example of someone who rang me a couple of days ago and, and said to me, Cindy, I need ammunition to take to school because the school is pressurising me to put my children on Ritalin and dexamphetamine, which medications for children with ADD and ADHD. And many of our boys are the ones that are in the biggest situation here, not so much the girls. The girls are in this situation, but more so the boys. And what happens is that the boys want to get up and play and, and you know, they're hyper and they, they learn very differently than the school education system is teaching them. 
And I think that's why we have these offshoots like Montessori, Steiner, homeschooling. And then from homeschooling, there is a branch of different styles, like there is the, the style for interest-based learning and then there's rope learning and then there's, you know, school of the air and there's just so many different styles. But, you know, I, I was in shock that a private school in Sydney is asking the parent to put the kid on drugs so they can teach the kid. I think that's insane. Very. Like what, I mean, how does the school actually know that that's even appropriate? And if that parent doesn't go and do their own research or, or understand the ramifications of that, because they, you know, most parents would probably consider the teachers would know and the teachers would be an expert on childhood behaviour. I don't know. I think a lot of people also would very much question, I know I'd be questioning that. Some teacher told me to go and put my child on some sort of drug, I'd be questioning their ability to control the child. Um, I'm not saying that all children are easily controlled. I get that. But, you know, for a lot of these, you've got to remember from a personality point of view, most teachers sit in the left hemisphere of the brain where they're very logical, sequential, organized, mathematical, and they're very plan orientated. And whilst they have creative outlets and they're very, very creative. A lot of teachers do sit in those two left quadrants because that's what we need with teachers, structure, organisation, learned behaviour and all these different things. So you throw in a right quadrant child into the mix and a lot of these very sanguine, playful personality type kids get you know, labelled as ADD or ADHD when in fact they're just bored or they might be a little bit naughty, but, you know, there's ways in which we can support these children. And, and, and it's, it's also a little bit, I think, a little bit of responsibility has to come back to a, a teacher finds children like that very, very distracting and very hard. And because they don't see the world through their eyes, they can see that child as, as, as annoying. Um, and I think the beautiful thing about understanding this personality work and the fact that it's such an open conversation in our house, whenever we go to school to parent-teacher interviews or anything like that, the kids, my two children, give me a rundown on the personality of each teacher that we're going to meet. And you can almost guarantee word for word what's going to come out of their mouths around my children, let alone anyone else's. So um, it gives you, it's not so much ammunition, but it gives you an understanding of why they might think that your child is disruptive. Now, Jacob gets on most of his reports, would do better if, um, would be much more advanced if he could stop interrupting, would do much better if he stopped talking in class, would do a lot better if he actually let other people have a say. And, and you know, he just gets this all the time. And whilst I'm sure that's a discipline for him to learn, his personality can't help but do that. So my advice, and whenever I get the opportunity to speak at teacher conferences and things like that about this, I love showing teachers how to get those kids on side and how to actually enroll them and give them responsibility and jobs and also teaching them about taking turns because the kids are only seeing the world through their world and their eyes too. So it's a case of really learning to understand the ways in which we all differently operate and that none of us are wrong. We're just different. So my main concern out of a lot of kids that get put onto these drugs, Cindy, is the fact that they are misdiagnosed as just a little personality sometimes that's just a little bit more out of control and feed that with perhaps, you know, red colouring or, or processed foods and what can be diagnosed as a 
disease or an issue or a, a real serious mental condition is actually just mismanaged diet and mismanaged personality, in my humble opinion. And there, there are, like if you watch a child that does have ADD or ADHD and severe ADD and ADHD, they have to move constantly. They're jumping around, they're, they, you know, they just have this wildness about them and for a parent who's listening to us who has a child like this, who feels that uh, the only way to control these children is through medication, um, then we have to honour their decision for doing this because there seems to be no other way. But you think about when you're irritated and your nervous system is irritated and you're annoyed about something, you can't sit. You cannot sit still. And for a lot of these children... They have irritated gastrointestinal tracts, irritated nervous systems. Their body and their brain is driving them insane and they have to keep moving. And while I say, you know, let's try, you know, Kim, Karen and I would all say this, let's look at food, let's look at trying to figure out what personality type they are, let's look at all of these things. There are some children that... I don't know what it is, but it seems no matter what you do for them, they just don't seem to want to settle. And I think it's because their nervous system's irritated and we've given, given them a start in life that's not been the best due to our environmental issues, due to the microbiome we've been given them, due to parenting maybe. You know, we're not given a handbook. What's, you know, no. not at all. I think you I make know. a good point here, though, Cindy, that, you know, there are, and, and I wasn't, I hope I hope it didn't come across that I was trying to make light of that in any way because I do appreciate that I'm sure there's mm. some children that really do need a lot more attention and focus around that. Um, what would you say to people then who are sitting there on the cusp, who maybe are told their children, and I invite you to in this, Karen, because, you know, there's a lot of parents that do want to do, we all want to do the right thing by our children. There's no doubting it. Mm. But what if you've got parents, uh, sorry, teachers telling you that your child's, you know, got attention deficit disorder, that they really are not coping, they're, they're rude, they're intolerable, they're, they're whatever. I mean, what would both of your advice be around supporting the child to be the best that they can be and allowing you to try and parent in the best way? You go well, first, Cindy. I'll go, I, well, I'll give you the situation that I was in. So my son was in grade six and I, I remember like going to school to do remedial reading with kids and just helping out in the classroom and I would sit with my son and he couldn't get the or was. He couldn't get concepts of English and maths and I didn't, really I just kind of went why isn't he getting this you know and he's in grade six and finally I get an amazing teacher and Mrs Shorten if you ever if you're listening Mrs Shorten Jane Shorten was the turning point in my child's life so he's a confident young boy goes to school fails miserably but I'm not told he's failing I'm just, you know, you get these beautiful reports about your kids saying, oh, what a lovely child and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. And Mrs. Shorten comes up to me halfway through the school and he, she said, Cindy, halfway through the school year, she said, Cindy, your son has an amazing survival mechanism. And I said, what do you mean? She says, he is a beautiful cheater and he cheats brilliantly in order to survive school. And I went, what? 
And he said, yeah. she said, yes, he's brilliant at it Aww. because that is the way he is surviving and getting through school. And I said, oh, my gosh, I didn't know this. Why, were, you know, why wasn't I told this years ago? And, and so we made a decision at that point that we were going to take Brogan out of school and we were going to homeschool him. And we took him out of school. We had him diagnosed for where he was in the school system. So not diagnosed for ADD or ADHD or anything like that. This was a kid that was losing his confidence and his only way of survival was to cheat. So we took him out of the school system. We had him diagnosed for where he was. He was at the beginning of grade three and yet he had made it to grade six through his survival mechanism and that was his survival. Like other kids might use another survival mechanism but I'm just telling you what Brogan did. So we... You know, we took him out of school. We found a homeschooling program that we absolutely loved. And the girls came out too. And the girls were surviving well. They were doing really well in school. There was no problems with them. But we thought, we'll take the girls out of school also. And we homeschooled them for three years. And I have to tell you, it was the most beautiful time of my life with those three children in that there was no school lunches for three years. There was... No mad morning, where's your school uniform, where's your hat, where is your books, where's your homework? <laughs> it was like, oh, my gosh, I had no idea how stressed I was of a morning oh, trying wow. to find their private school uniforms, their private sports uniforms, and they were always doing grandparents' day, they were always doing something day and swimming day and this day and that day, and their education was just a day of of celebration of something else and we realized through that three years of homeschooling those three children that education doesn't take a lot of time we so if if I went through from the beginning so we we had it very structured from the beginning so I would get up with the kids they would put any clothes on they didn't have to put their private school clothes on they would put their clothes on we would have a lovely breakfast and then we would sit around the dining room table and we would school and we would go through each of the, you know, they, they had four subjects that they did. And, and Brogan, what we had to do with him was that he had gaps in his schooling. So he, rem, he knew some things from four, five and six, but it, mostly he was grade three. So we had to fill in all of the gaps in his learning. And so we did that, filled in all of his gaps. And, and as the kids got used to doing this, I would find them up at six in the morning at the school table schooling themselves, doing their paces because they knew that if they'd finished by 9 a.m., it was playtime from 9 till night. Wow. And, That's and amazing. I, oh, look, it was – we had the best time, the best three years, the most relaxed, calm. I, I, I can't say enough to homeschooling and what it did for Brogan. It, in three years we got him from grade three to grade nine, and the girls, they just excelled. They just, they, they all excelled. And, you know, Brogan finished year 12 with a really good OP, which is a, um, a Queensland rating. So he, he finished with an OP that could get him into engineering. So sometimes, like I said to this mother that said to me that, you know, this private boys' school was wanting her kids to go on drugs, I said, 
How dare they? How dare they ask you to do this to your children? Because we know that, you know, this is fact, that these drugs that we put our young kids on, the likelihood of them doing harder drugs as they get older are far greater than if you don't put them on it. And I know it's a struggle. And, like, I took three years to to get the, my my son back. And, and, you know, Howard and I were in this together and we, we did this to to get him back. And I know another mother, Ricky, and I talk about Ricky all the time. You know that, you know, my, my beautiful swimming and walking partner. She did the same things. Taylor, her son, was doing really badly at school and she said, I have to do something. And she took him out of school and she actually took Taylor out of school six months before I took Brogan out of school. And she found the education program that I used. So I had a mentor and we talk about mentors all the time. And I had a mentor who said, this is the most amazing program, Cindy. It, it's it, every every pace, and they're called pace. Every pace has a virtue, and they start with a virtue, and then they're told what they're learning for that for that book. And then it's it was just this was this beautiful way of learning. I loved it. It was called an ACE program, the Australian Christian Education Program, and I I just absolutely loved it. Whereas I saw other people doing homeschooling with. Um, School of the Air, and I, I saw the, the frustration in the parents um, with some of the School of the Air. So I, I'm really pleased that I picked this program. But there's lots of programs out there, and um, it's, a, it's Horses for Corsets. It's about picking the right one and then getting exposed to other homeschooling families and so that they can socialise and they can do sports. Like my kids would go to sports afterwards or, you know, we travelled throughout that time as well so we we were free as birds there was no like I heard on the radio the other day that in Sydney that the, the school principals were discouraging parents for taking their kids out of school that they should not take them out of school except in school holidays and I kind of go oh my gosh what is it becoming a prison now Mm, mm. and they forget that often that family time or the time that the the family gets to be away is is far more emotionally stabilising, nurturing and encouraging than, than staying at school and missing out on a family trip or, or being together as a family. I wonder, Cindy, when you sent your kids back to school and Brogan back to school after that three years homeschooling, how did they assimilate back in and do you think that homeschooling potentially could have been a better way to go through their whole school life? Yeah, I often I often think about that and if I could turn back time, mm. I would have liked to have homeschooled my children through primary school. Through primary school. So you think yeah. still going to high school would be the way to go, but primary school as a setup and a foundation you think would have been better? Uh, look, I think so. And then um, I, I, I felt that um, primary school is where Brogan really lost his confidence and lost everything in, in that small period of time he got it back of course when we homeschooled him and he realized he could spell the and was and could do algebra and knew what a noun and a verb and you know all of that I stuff he can... he was. <laughs> so I knew you know um, he knew he could do that and when he went back into school and he went back with confidence but what's really interesting is that we couldn't get him back into the school that we had taken him out of to homeschool him so we put him in a, another school that academically wasn't as strict as this other school was. 
And so once again, it's horses for courses. And, and he needed to be in a strict academic school. He couldn't be in a school that was a little bit lax. So we actually, within nine months, we got him back into the private school and he excelled from then on. And he realised in that first term that he had to work a lot harder than he was in, in the, um, the other school that he was in. So, uh, you know, we, we realised that we should have waited to, for him to go into that. But it, it all worked out brilliantly. He, he cruised through year 11 and 12 and, uh, you know, I'm so proud of what we did as a family in order for our son to survive. And the girls, who knows where they would have gone, I don't know, but they did brilliantly in their schooling career as well and, and off to university. Like Brogan went and did a trade, whereas the girls went and uh, have gone to university. And I just, I encourage parents, if they are having children that are, are struggling, to really consider looking at a homeschooling program or looking at a different type of schooling program such as Montessori or Steiner because they might find the answer to their child that is a little bit um, or, or, or a child that needs to be on medications because that's what the school believes that they, they need to do. And Cindy, uh, can I ask you a question. Do you think to be a homeschool parent you need to be a certain type or have a certain awareness yourself as in I mean, I'm just trying to picture a frazzled mother trying to then homeschool I mean you you talk about it sounding so idyllic but I'm sure there's a lot of mums and dads even out there that they themselves emotionally may not be in a in a good place to to deliver that sort of a program in that environment what, what's your thoughts there? Uh, look, I agree that, that there are probably some parents that would really struggle with this, but then there are some parents that it is, you know, it'll be the best thing for them. And it, and I think parents know, but don't think that you can't teach them. If you're, you know, considering this and you're thinking, well, I only went to year 10 or I don't really understand nouns and verbs, because you know what was amazing is that as my kids learnt, I actually relearned. Mm. I actually relearned division and multiplication and, and all of those things. And I went, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that that's the way you did it, you know. And, and, and the nouns and the verbs and the pronouns, I could never get them, never. <laughs> but by the time my kids had finished, I went, oh my gosh, I know what an adjective is now. And I know what, you know, so even though I went to university, I did science at university. But to go back with my kids and go back through all the groundings of this, I loved it. I just thought it was, and, and, and it, it feels really good to teach someone to read. And I taught Tania to read because she, um, she was only in halfway through year one when we took her out of school. So it's kind of a cool thing to, to be that person who actually teaches your child to read. So as far as I think finding the right program is probably the number one thing for a parent not to feel frazzled. And I believe the program that I found was one of the least frazzling 
<laughs> school programs that I could have done because everything was written out for the kids. Everything was in books. I just sat there with them. Sometimes I would cook, by the way. Sometimes they'd be at the kitchen table and I would just be cooking. And they would ask me a question and I'd go over and I would, I'd say, no, I think it's this way, honey, or perhaps try it this way or read that question again or and I remember one time, I'll never forget this, is that because it was a Christian-based schooling program and I remember there was this scripture and a lot of the scriptures were brilliant. They were virtues and we went through all the virtues and, and we and the kids understood virtues and I thought that was a really good thing to do. But I remember it, it, it being like this and a woman's place is in the home and a man's <laughs> place is – and I went – I don't think so, you know. <laughs> and and I was really upset by the program and I was like, I rang Ricky and I went, I cannot believe it, it says this. And she goes, <laughs> you know what the cool thing is though, Cindy? Selective teaching. Well, no, she said what happens <laughs> is that your kids are learning things at school and you can't argue against them because you don't know what they're learning. But here you are. They're being taught something and you can have a debate around whether you agree with this concept or not. Mm. And so all of a sudden I started to go, what have my kids been learning? In, in, because they went to an Anglican school. What have they been learning that I don't agree with? You know, being brought up a Catholic, you know? It could go the other way though too, Cindy, where as a parent our own values, virtues and thoughts and processes <laughs> Um, are indoctrinated onto those children as well. So, <laughs> you know, I think the nice thing about them going to another school or going to school from my perspective is, you know, they're learning stuff that I don't know anything about or that I don't have an opinion around. So it's quite interesting. I think there's there's good on, uh, and, and positives on both sides, isn't there? Oh, look, I agree. You know, there's like anything, there's... You've you got to weigh up what's going to be the best thing and sometimes the best thing is for a child to be at school and other times it's a, it's a time to, to bring the child home, even if it's for a year. But it, I, I just believe that this is available to us and people need to know it's available to you and that there's a lot of positive in, in bringing a child home if they're really struggling. And, and like you said, Taylor would have probably done really well in it, whereas Jacob <laughs> needed to go to school and... I think I think for his health and well-being, it was probably best that he went to school. Um, <laughs> Is that because you wouldn't? You would. I was going to say for whose health and well-being, his or yours? <laughs> you know, Dr. Sarah Farron, who's um, a wonderful chiropractor, and she's over in New Zealand with a website, VitalMums dot com. I think it is. Yeah. Um, I was with her staying at her place and she's got three beautiful, amazing, beautiful, gorgeous children. Very well integrated, social and very um, happy, communicative, gorgeous, intelligent little beings. And um, I'll never forget her one day saying, um, you know, that the, the subject line or something or other was around volcanoes. And she looked at the three children and she said, right, well, you know, this, this is the syllabus. I think we're going to look at these volcanoes. And all three of them just looked at her and she went, wrong and they went mm, who cares and she went well that's a good point um 
And so she said, so I completely missed that whole session and there are volcanoes. And I said, but should, shouldn't they get some sort of an understanding? She goes, why? They're not interested in it. Why would I teach them something they're not interested in? I said, well, what did you do? And then I said, well, out of that, we then asked the question, what are you interested in? It wasn't like they were going to get out of a lesson. But what they did, and, and one of her, her oldest boy, God, is divine. Uh-huh. He's got a real passion for cars. And so his whole, he has designed, and then he went and got his project out for me and showed me. It was like a whole business plan around this car that he one day, um, I think he's called it the Farantini instead of the Lamborghini. Um, <laughs> Love and it. He, car that one day he wants to present to Lamborghini or perhaps some big car manufacturer. And I swear to you, I was, I was quite blown away by what he had done. So I think what I really loved about her philosophy around it is just how gorgeous it is to inspire children to learn what they want to learn. Just to say that um, Sarah homeschools her children and she has from the very beginning. They've never gone to school. Mm. And I believe she does interest-based learning. Mm. Would I be right, Kim? She's an interest- I think so. Yeah, when they're interested in something, they learn about it. Yeah, and she has all those three children. They come into her practice and they all help in the business and they all have jobs to do in the business and then they go home and they, you know, they eat a very paleo way of eating and they're they very they're very structured in, in many of their ways but it's kind of, I don't know if holistically structured is the right way of looking at it but it's very, um, you know, it, I, I really, it, it opened up my eyes. I didn't know if I'd missed the boat too late or if I'd, you know, done too much because I'm very active with my children with their learning. I, when they were at primary school, I spent a lot of time in the classrooms with them and um, offering to help because I wanted to see what the teachers were teaching and and if I didn't agree with something I could, or if I found, you know, my children didn't agree with something, I found it a really nice way to communicate our differences of opinions at home. Um but at the same time now, I'm kind of like, well, Taylor's just started. We, she just walked in the door and said, well, Mum, that was my last first day of school um, ever. And I just looked at her and went, oh, my gosh. Oh, oh, like, wow. it's, everything this year is going to be the last of everything, you know. And I, I'm out the other side and I'm sitting there going, oh, my gosh. And I look at her who has decided not to do an OP, which is that level of education you were talking about mm. um, up in Queensland. She's decided not to do an OP because she does 30 hours of dance a year. And what I'm really appreciative of with the school um, is that they've created a timetable for her in order to, to dance, um, you know, those 30 hours a week. So she gets a whole you know, day off school, she gets to do her subject she's wanted. She's got four base subjects she has to make up by doing, to get her 20 QCE points, she has got to do a first aid course, which I think is fantastic. She also has to do one university thing where it could be hospitality or something around there, which I also think isn't a bad thing. And then she will come out with her 20 points as well as the prerequisites to do a dance education, which is her absolute thriving passion. And I just thought, oh, I'm so grateful to have a school that's embraced her passion, her love and her desire, as well as she's got a, I guess you'd call it a formal education. It's really interesting. There's a guy that I interviewed on Karen's Couch called um, TK Coleman, and he is one of the um, education directors of a business called Praxis, and they're in the States. They haven't come over to Australia as yet, 
but their whole concept is around you know like a shift in the culture and a shift in the way or, or, or the kind of kids that we're turning out out of school because traditionally in the past because our education system and this is what he was saying um, off air was the traditionally edu- education system has been geared around producing people to work for the man and go and get jobs go through to university you know land up with a hex debt and then you know go and get a job to pay back that hex debt so then you land up in the working system so you become one of the workers and the working class people and he said what his concept is is about getting our kids out of the school and then putting them through entrepreneurial school bringing kids through a way of experiencing life which is far more innovative and more entrepreneurial so that instead of turning out so many people who are workers who just get caught up in the system and never escape the system and never actually experience thinking freely or innovating freely um, he wanted to be able to give kids another option and so what they've got is they've got a program that kids can actually dial into while they're in their schooling years and get credits so um, they go and actually work in an organization but they don't just become a worker in an organization the role is in partnership with the owner um, where they get set a project between the school praxis and the um the uh the 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 company and they get set a project that, that they have to deliver over the course of the year and inside of that project they have to generate revenue they have to bring on more clients. They need to um, innovate based on that particular company's product. They need to roll out a new product line. They need to involve the marketing, the sales, the business development. They need to involve accounting, human resources, which means they actually have to become involved in all of those different components. And then depending on the revenue and the success of their project, that's how they graded towards the end of the year. And it's really, it's, it's such an inspiring concept. And my girlfriend, Isabella, that I was talking to you about earlier, she's um, doing her best to try to see how, if we can bring that whole praxis methodology into Australia because, you know, I think something like that as an option for the kids that are naturally gifted that way or naturally mm. geared that way, I mean, really, I, I, you know, I mean, I think back to when I was at school, that was just the furthest thing from a possibility but now that that's an option for kids I mean I look at my nephews and OMG I tell you what they would dive into that boots and all because their brain they come from an entrepreneurial family my brother has his own business my dad had his own business and all of us kids have our own business so it's only natural that that's all that they really know so for them to be able to have an opportunity to learn how to develop their entrepreneurial adventure you know, um, and, and, and skills, I think, would just be wicked, just yeah. wicked. There's a thing at school this year with Taylor with Year 12, and we actually met up with a girl who got an OP1 last year, and she's gorgeous, and, and Taylor and her were just having a chat about, you know, their biology. They're both, she did biology last year, and in fact, apparently the teacher, who was so sick of people handing in their EEIs, you know, their extended experiential experimental investigation, that's the thing that they have to do as a part of their biology. They have to submit this you know, somewhat 40-page investigative report and everything around a topic that interests them. And Taylor kind of was umming and ahhing, thinking, oh, I'll probably just do it on, you know, beans and the effect of light and soil and all of that sort of thing. 
And then she found out through this girl that this teacher is sick and tired of plant EEIs and to do something different. And, and Taylor told her that, in fact, her EEI that she submitted last year was one of the best he's ever seen. And she did it on the viability of bull sperm. <laughs> her mother's a vet. And she did it oh. on bull sperm. And the fact that the, um, the sperm had a much higher hit rate, if you like, with um, when it was suspended in organic egg yolk as opposed to inorganic egg yolk and free-range egg yolk. And it was just even listening to her talk about her conversation and the protein in an organic egg seemed to hold the viability and the, and the strength of this bull sperm far better than what it did a free-range or an inorganic egg. So, oh, my. Yeah, we were having this conversation and laughing. And then, anyway, so she goes to Taylor, so what do you think you'll do yours on? She goes, well, I don't really want to do it on beans. Anyway, a topic that's come up in our house is protein powders and how much my son thinks that mass nutrition protein powders are the best thing out there to bulk up and look extraordinarily, amazingly bulky. And uh, <laughs> I and- love your voices, you say I know. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, and I keep trying to tell him that having a good piece of red meat and a, a smoothie with an egg in it probably have far greater impact as a post-workout blend than any smoothie that he's thinking of. Anyway, um, so Taylor has decided that her EEI this year is going to be based on the effect that these protein powders, which are the best protein supplements and things like that, that to use in, uh, you know, for boys wanting to gain bulk, which I thought uh, we're just going to have a ball. And now I'm on board with that. I'm going, oh, my God. And she goes, do you think we could sit down with Cindy and just go through a few things about how we measure, you know, whether we have to look at the ketogenics on this or is it ketones we're measuring? How do we measure amino acids? And, and I'm just sitting there and the three of us were having this wonderful conversation. And I thought, oh, my God, this is learning. This is this is how I I love the process of learning when we go here. You know, it became from studying a bean photosynthesis and the chlorophyll levels in beans to understanding how things in everyday situations and how can we convince our teenage boys that Inca Inchi would be a far better protein powder or you know would be much or an better. Egg. Than- yeah, yes, my or, yeah, oh, just our normal foods. I know. Oh, my gosh, we're going to have to get to Mr. PhD and, and set up a, a whole experiment around this. <laughs> I know. I know. I got all excited. I oh got Cindy will get excited about So, So, yeah, it's a really, really, really awesome, um, you know, uh, that's how I see learning. So hmm. I wanted to ask you both from this point of view, from your own schooling perspective, did you both know what you wanted to do? when you were at school? No. I thought I wanted to be a secretary and I thought I wanted to be a teacher until I went and saw, um, I think I went and saw Anthony Robbins when I was, oh, no, it wasn't Anthony Robbins. It was some other motivational speaker. I think I was 16 and I went with my sister who'd just gotten into sales and she took me with her and I saw this motivational speaker standing up on the stage, absolutely lighting up the room like a Christmas tree and I went, that is what I want to do. That's exactly what I want to do. But, of course, I had 100 careers between then and now, <laughs> which included beauty therapy, accounting, journalism, real estate. Recruitment. Recruitment. <laughs> I love it. I love it. You know, I I just wanted to marry a farmer and have 12 children. 
That's what well, I wanted. Can't work out for you. Yeah, no, <laughs> didn't did it? Didn't marry a farmer. I didn't have twelve children. And I, but I always said I'd be a secretary to a multimillionaire who was a farmer who I could have twelve children with. You know, that was that was oh, always nice. my ambition as I grew up. But I, I think you know that <laughs> the reality of that just didn't quite happen. And and my love of um, nutrition caught hold of me. I think when I was about nineteen. So that was it. That was all I wanted to do was do nutrition. Yeah, but you like you know, I, I have a question, Kim. What about you? First, let's yeah, just hear, yeah. What about you? What was your ambition? Oh, I wanted to be a lawyer because my mum worked in a law firm, and I helped her in school holidays, and so I just thought that that looked pretty cool because they had typewriters, <laughs> illiterate <laughs> typewriters. And, <laughs> and I'll never forget Carol, who was the secretary in there. Mum was one of the secretaries but Carol was also a former Miss New Zealand so she was this model with her long dark hair and these high-heeled shoes and I just looked at her and thought that's what I want to be when I grow up um, looking like her and she seemed so intelligent with these headphones on and this electric typewriter so that was one career and then the other career because I loved animals so much was to be a vet and then the weekend our two dogs both died I so went off the idea of being a vet, so that ruined it. And then my first, when I left school, I went straight into a business law school at, at um, ATI and lasted six months and realised that's the last thing in the world. It was the most boring thing you could ever have put someone like me in to do. So, I, you know, I don't know if I, you know, I, I, I know many 40, 50 and 60-year-olds that still don't know what they want to do. So I, I think to me it's more about... Um, you know, for, for me, one thing led to another and I don't think any path is wrong. And I think that's something that I've tried to show my children that I just encourage them to, to live something that they have a passion around or that they are that, that wakes them up excited every day. You know, and for Taylor to watch a young woman who is so driven from such a young age and so focused on one thing, I feel very blessed to actually witness that and to watch that. Um, and to see Jacob flourish, become this young man and formulating his own opinions and his own um, values around. And I can see some of it sometimes is so bleeding well immature. And then other moments, he's the wisest, most informed, educated person I've ever met from a soul level. And and I just get totally wrapped up in his his magnitude of 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 awesomeness and and then the next breath he can totally change that perspective in a second but anyway he can. <laughs> <laughs> um, but sounds he, like a teenage boy yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> teenage boy. but I love you know and I, I think my my greatest regret and I think I've shared this before if I have if there is such a thing and I'm really training myself not to have there's no such thing as regrets um but you know there was probably a time when I've really I've always felt that because I don't have a university degree I'm I'm nobody. I don't have enough to offer, and people won't listen. and And I don't. I'm not intelligent, and I'm not um, someone that anyone would value the opinion of. and And I had to really fight that because um, I realised, you know, that that a university degree doesn't necessarily it is it's not necessarily the be all and end all. But 
there's other ways of creating an education and an education sometimes is life and experience and and when I look at what we've experienced growing up and that my mum had worked three jobs and and I ran the house from nine I realize why even though it's not my natural nature to be systemized and organized and very precise in my home my home is such a well-oiled machine and and I look back at from the age of nine and not knowing any different that you know you could say that that was a degree in home management from a young age you know and so what is a degree and and what is an education and and to me being around you two and and listening to you both I just uh, you know I feel so excited I I just enrolled in an MBA and I got accepted because I thought oh my gosh you two are going to be so proud of me (laughs) congratulations I know but then, then I found out the program um, is 20 hours a week and I need to stay on call and it's going to cost me 20 grand to do it and the whole thing. And I looked at it and I went, okay, well, it's not that I still don't want to do it. It's just that right here, right now with two teenage children and a, and a thriving, very hungry and fast-growing business and people depending on me, I realized that, you know, that can go on hold. And it wasn't until you, Cindy, turned around to me and said, the money you've invested into your business coach and the way you're running your business and what you're learning and and understanding, you're actually doing your MBA by running your business. And that completely was like a massive aha for me that my goal now is to run a successfully thriving business. And, And I think once I feel really established in that, I'll feel I've got my my MBA, a mum that's bloody awesome is actually what the MBA stands for. Oh, I love that. <laughs> nice I do work. love it. Now, look, I have a question for you um, and, and the questions come up because of something Karen said and, you know, Karen talked about um, uh, kids in school being able to go and do something that's quite entrepreneurial. But like any system in um, life in the world, such as the bees or the um, ants and even the human race, we have our entrepreneurs and we have our workers, we have our analyticals and we have our creatives, we have our, and Kim, your understanding of personalities and what's the best um, work for them or the best um, career for them um, is, is, I think, compelling. So... I look at school and school is all teaching the same thing the same way and it's obviously not right for every one of us because we're all so different in our personalities and in our in our the way we think and the way we want to do things. Like there are some people who just are very happy with just working nine to five, having a job, security, free weekends, don't have to think afterwards. And and there are other people that that would just drive them, like my husband, to uh, their grave very fast. <laughs> so yeah. uh, it's here we are, we have a system that just is the same system and doesn't allow for these different personalities, these different needs of people. And that's what I find really sad in the education system. There's a, there's a um, learning style called format, which um, I use in my seminars and my programs. And it was discovered by or developed by a woman by the name of Bernice McCarthy. If anybody's interested in it, you can go to the website, which is actually um, all the W's dot about learning dot com. 
and it's format, the number four MAT. And it talks about the different learning styles and the kind of learning style that we are as a child doesn't change as we get older. So um, there are what learners, why learners, how learners and learners that need to ask, what if I do this? What if I do that? If I do this, what will happen there? And they're more your kinesthetic learners that need to actually touch and feel and try something out in order to learn. And the beautiful thing about this format is for schools like the Montessoris and the Steiners, they actually use this as a learning strategy to make sure that all the different learning styles are covered Mm. as opposed to traditional curriculums that actually only cater to the how learner. And it's, um, it's actually quite fascinating to see where it's, probably more obvious now because our kids are far more diverse and less likely to uh, manipulate the system these days because you know kids were very we were very I know in my school we were very conformist you know you, you you have to conform to the way that you're being taught and if you don't conform to the way that you're being taught you get left behind and that's where you know kids obviously just slipped through the cracks back then but it's less likely to be happening now I think we're a lot more aware um oh I hope that we're a lot more aware it certainly sounds like we're a lot more aware but this this learning um, system is actually really really cool so I think for parents if you've got kids in schools and you can see that your kids are struggling dive into this format learning style and it may even just be a place to start where you can start supporting your kids with their homework and if you can figure, as a, there's an assessment there that you can um, give your kids to see what kind of learning style they are. And based on that assessment, then perhaps when you're helping them with their homework, you can kind of reword it or reframe it in a way that works for them. Nice. I love yeah. it. That was yeah. a good thing homeschooling. There was no homework. Ah, oh, that would be awesome, no homework. No, oh. no homework. Like homework. Why can't they get it all done at school so they can come home and chill? Why? What, what exactly. is homework? Well, we used to do it in three hours. They're at school for six hours, and then they have to come home and do homework. Well, we, we, you know, we were finished within three hours. You know, like I said, the kids would get up at six and finish at nine, or we'd start at nine and be finished by midday, and we'd play the rest of the time. So. I think there was a there was an article, not an article. There was a show on television actually questioning the validity of homework for kids, and they found that in a stu- in a research done, I think there was something like seventeen hundred children um, didn't do homework versus seventeen hundred children that did do homework. And then after six months, they reassessed their ability to learn and retain information, and the kids who didn't do the homework showed no um, signs that not doing homework was detrimental to their learning. Well, I'm sure Jacob would agree with that. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> the kids always showed me his report with his Bs, B pluses, and the odd C here and there, and that's on no homework, always disrupting a class and being a little fiend. And I always say to him, imagine if you applied yourself a bit more, and he goes, what's the point? And I kind of think, well, <laughs> what do you answer with that, honestly? <laughs> Yeah, what do you answer with? You can run, but you can't hide. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. This has been a fascinating podcast, hasn't it? Yeah, it has, because we've not talked about, you know, um, education and and what's happening out there, and maybe this will have helped people to uh, understand that there's more than just taking your kid to a school. There are other options out there for them. And I think, too, it will also um, open up a whole bunch of questions that 
our listeners might be interested to ask us, which could potentially give us some, um, you know, perhaps there's even more information that we can share on this. Perhaps there's even another podcast on this topic Mm. to expand it even further based on some of the questions that our listeners might want to ask us. Might be nice to have a teacher's view too, you know, I to think get so, yeah. insights as to how they, you know, because I'm sure there's teachers and there's teachers. Mm. You know, some teachers that I look at at school and I think maybe they should be in the chapel where, um, and we should be saying goodbye. But, um, and I wonder how long they've been there for. Um, but there's young ones coming through that have got a lot of new energy, and, and then there's beautiful teachers that just have a warmth and personality. And when I hear the children talk fondly of a couple of teachers, you know, I read somewhere the other day that a, what is it, a, 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 a naughty or destructive child will not um, or, or can always heal and repair, but a bad teacher can disrupt 30 or 40 lives. And I just thought, wow, there's a lot of responsibility on teachers and mm. and we do expect a lot. And a lot of parents, you know, they get annoyed that they can't, you know, control children or do this, that and the other. And I think, you know, sometimes teachers get a bad rap too. And, and I think it's time that us parents stood up and, and actually really, you know, realised what a job that these teachers have and, and how little time they get for themselves and how many of them are very passionate about creating a great educational environment. Otherwise, they would never have become teachers and I think you know to put blame on teachers or schools or to do that when you know I think it's it's it takes a village to raise a child and I think you know that's why I'm always up at the school you know for Jacob but um I'm always up there but I'm also very involved (laughs) and and it's lovely that they know that we've got a child like that but we adore him and they see that in him and 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 he's just a gorgeous spunky little rat bag that just wants to make himself known so I I think it's I don't think that, you know, formal education is necessarily the worst thing and I don't think homeschooling is always necessarily the worst thing or whatever. I think what works for you as a family and, and honouring the role that our teachers do play and, and I swear to you, when I find out there's a teacher that's, you know, it's maybe not that they're, they're, they're a bad teacher but they're perhaps not the best teacher for my son or my daughter, then I'm up at the school giving our reasons why and us as a family make a decision and we go armed with information, not blame, you know, just this is what's going to work for us better and how can we do this? What can we do to make it work better for the teacher and for the child? So I would really encourage people to, to, to be very active as a parent and have a look at the homework, look what they're looking at on the internet, um, be involved more and that's probably the greatest lesson I've had. The, the more involved I become, the greater, we, the greater experience we all have. You know what I'd like? I'd love for somebody out there, it may be one of our listeners, because we're starting to get some um, teachers actually listening to the show. I would love to get somebody out there who's either listening to the show or has a family member or knows somebody who is a teacher that has experienced contrasting methods or not contrasting necessarily, but different methods of teaching. Like maybe mm. they've gone from a state school to a, to a um private school to a a Steiner or a Montessori who can actually talk to us about the difference in the way that teaching is delivered, um, in the way that the education system is potentially changed or changing, or, you know, just to give us a bit of insight from a teacher's point of view as to what it's actually like, Um, you know, because we all know what it's like from a student's point of view because we've been there, done that, got the T-shirt, but it would be interesting to know really what it's like from a teacher's perspective. Mm. Um, and, you know, how things have changed in the last, say, 10, 15 years in teaching and has it changed at all? 
and part of the teacher who's very maybe you know there's these teachers like Cindy is, is in the nutritional world where they're trying to make a difference or they can see a beautiful avenue of creating a different way of expressing and learning and but they're institutionalized and then allowed to step outside the boundary you know it must be mm, very yeah. challenging for those teachers too yeah very cool very cool you know what, I remember Danny. Danny has a real love of history. And I always felt that history, schmistry, being there, done that, got the, you know, been and gone people, move on, never really had an appreciation around history until I went to Europe and stood in 900-year-old churches and stood in the room where Mary Queen of Scots slept and, and stood looking up at the Sistine Chapel that Michelangelo had painted. Like, it's not until you're in those, I don't think there was any connection for me to history. But I said to Danny, well, what gave you your connection? <laughs> His teacher, apparently the first year he was studying history, was all dressed up, standing outside the, the, the classroom, looking in those that glass window that looks into the classroom and kept walking past to the point where all the kids started going, who's walking past the classroom? Like no one came in. And then finally he walked in the door dressed up as, I don't know, Julius Caesar. He had a toga on him or something. I don't know. He was all dressed up and he came in and presented to them as if he was Julius Caesar. And... He just said it was the most fun and the most amazing class. And his love of history and Danny's ability to regurgitate information, and and he loves reading history books and watching documentaries. And I think, wow, one teacher created that impact on his life to have a lifelong love of something like history. I mean, it's moments like that, isn't it, that can create a whole path for somebody. Yeah, I think so. It's like those teachers who really do dive into the joy of learning, I think is awesome. Mm-hmm. That's just that's just awesome. I thank you teaching us, you two darling teachers out there. Love you too and the all that you teach me and, and all of us listeners. Just love what we learn from each other and totally adore mm-hmm. you both. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right How back beautiful. at you. Right back at you. <laughs> all round, high fives, all round. High fives. Virtual, virtual. <laughs> <laughs> So that brings us to the end of today's podcast on education and homeschooling and what it's like. So as we said, if there's anybody out there who's got any experience in teaching in our schooling system, we really want to hear from you. We really want to hear about how things have changed or not changed and what your thoughts are. Um, And anybody out there who is homeschooling, if you've got some suggestions on different homeschooling techniques or methods, post them on our Facebook page or on the website. So you can go to allthews.facebook.com forward slash up for a chat, or you can also go to allthews.thewellnesscouch.com forward slash up for a chat. So make your comments and make your posts there and we'll, um, we'll make sure that we get back to you personally and we'll also potentially, you know, raise some additional questions that we could answer on air. So go ahead and do that, and we will look so forward to hearing from you. So join us here next week, same time, same station, on Up For A Chat, and become part of the ripple effect that's changing the world. All our love. We'll see you next week. Bye for now. Hello, Marcus Pierce here, CEO of The Wellness Couch and co-host of 100 Not Out and Inside the Champion's Mind. If you are champing at the bit to take your 2015 to the next level, then I invite you to this special one-night-only event on Thursday, February 5th. The Exceptional You, Unleash Your Greatness is a boutique two-hour workshop on designing your very own unique, exceptional life blueprint. How have the most magnificent people ever to live conducted their lives? What wisdom have they passed on? What do they eat? How do they move? 
how do they think and how can you be one of them. I share all of this at this special one night only event. Tickets are just $47 and a special two for one offer may still be available. For details, simply go to exceptionallifeblueprint.com.au forward slash you or check out 100 Not Out on Facebook. Whilst the Wellness Coach presenter endeavour to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the